Saffron's latest research report studies how Gen Z and millennial employees across three continents feel about employee value propositions. Today, we sit down with Saffron's Chief Strategy Officer, Fernando Ortiz Eman, and Associate Strategy Director, Chelito Rubio, to learn more about our findings. We'll unpack some of the insights gleaned from both our study and recent client work. We'll share what has surprised us and where we're seeing EVPs evolving internationally to address the needs of the current and rising workforce. Welcome, Chelito and Fernando. We're really excited to have this conversation. Um, this really is a very relevant conversation that we have not only seen from our report, but from our work with clients in, in recent months and years, and only expect this to become more of a hot topic. So first, we'd like to dive in um, with, I think, just a, a context for listeners who um, may not know exactly what EVP stands for, what how we define it, um, and and how, how we see different factors coming into the definition of an employee value proposition. Fernando, if you could kick us off. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for, for having us. Um, well, actually, just let's just start with the acronyms, what it actually stands for. So EVP stands for Employee Value Proposition. And actually, this is the first thing because some people actually think it's employer, but actually technically it is employee value proposition because the idea is that it ought to be the value proposition organizations have for their employees. So therefore, I want to emphasize that it's employee, not employer. Now, what is an EVP or an employee value proposition? What's well, literally the promise, you could say, that an organization does to its employees? So it's like, hey, I'm company X or I'm an organization Y, and um, this is what I can offer you. This is what it means to work in this organization, just to spend lots of time, sometimes too much time, uh, in this place. and. Um, it's literally, uh, this is what you get, you know? This is what uh, you receive by working here. This is what you can contribute, and at the same time, from what you contribute, that this is what you get in return. And this is what me as an organization have to give you as a proposition or even a promise uh, to you what I will be doing for you, right? And uh, obviously, we'll probably also be talking about you know, what's the, the rise of EVPs and why it's becoming more and more important over the past, I would say, past decade. Um, and it's literally, uh, to put very bluntly, the war for talent. So companies now need to start literally uh, selling themselves, uh, not just for attracting talent, but also retaining and motivating uh, their employees. And the EVP is the foundation uh, that serves in really creating and developing and sustaining an, a culture and atmosphere uh, for people to want to work in that organization. Thank you. And I'd like to welcome Chelito to the, the conversation. Um, you led our, our study, our, our recent study, The Great Misunderstanding, um, understanding employee value propositions for millennials and Gen Z. What have you seen to add to how sort of the, the rise of EVP that Fernando's signaling? What have you seen in the last maybe even few years or decades um, that would explain this this rise in relevance and and the evolution, kind of an evolution that you've been particularly seeing, whether it's generational or or specific the last couple of years? Yeah, uh, thanks so much for having both of us on here today. I think one thing that's really stood out and is the title of this of our report and how this connects to an EVP, which is 
within businesses, they have this definition of this is our promise that we're making. And then that promise is connected through hiring and marketing and everything about the company and reflected through the employee experience. But you ask most employees and they'll go, what? <laughs> I don't know what that is. And so one of the reasons that we did this survey was seeing where that disconnect is between how a company thinks about its EVP coming to life and how employees prioritize the ways an EVP can come to life. And so that's, I think, one of the biggest changes we've seen is as an EVP has developed as a unifying thought within a company for creating a promise and defining it through the employee experience, there's a disconnect between what employers are promising and what employees are looking for. Can, and we're looking forward to definitely getting into, into that, disconnect, that disconnect. What I think uh, would also be really helpful to understand is the components of, of EVP that we looked at in the study and, and then how Saffron understands um, what those factors are. Yeah, so one thing that's really important as with this is we looked at the components of an EVP, as I was saying, from the point of view of a employee. For an employer, an EVP gets put through candidate experience, employee communications, talent retention, but to an employee, they don't care. Why would an employee personally be like, tell me about your employee communications plan? Instead, for us and what we looked at in the survey was seeing how an EVP and the promise an employee can from an employer can come to life through compensation, financial compensation, through work environment, flexibility, recognition, through benefits, and not just like medical benefits, it's benefits of time, benefits that they can offer in the workplace career development itself. So how are they helping to develop your career? How are they nurturing it? What are they offering from training perspective? And then company culture itself. So the idea of the values that organize the company, that bring people together and that organize the culture itself within the workplace. And so we, instead of, and this is again, almost at the heart of where that mistranslation comes from, that misunderstanding comes from is on the one hand, we have the employer's idea of where the EVP makes impact and on the other hand, we have almost the raw materials of that impact is the lived experience of those employees around culture, environment, benefits, financial benefits, everything like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's, that's one of the, the, the things that's really helpful to begin to understand um, is, is how EVP employer branding and culture intertwine or don't intertwine. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Fernando, if you could maybe comment on, on how you're seeing it in our projects evolve maybe more from, from the working with the employer side, how, how those three are in dialogue or not. Yeah, well, I mean, totally, there's, a, there's almost a symbiotic relationship, uh, I would say, between the EVP and culture. And it's interesting how, how it's been uh, transforming itself over the past years or even the decade that, I mean, EVP maybe started let's say maybe very technical, going over very technical aspects as to the um, employee um, situation within its organization, be it the perks or be it your salary or be it salary increases. So very technicalities around um, the role of the employee within the organization. And obviously, and thankfully, it has actually evolved to we would definitely define it as much more critical factors and, and maybe you would call them softer factors that an EVP at the end of the day is, is, is the foundation or ought to be the foundation on how you want to then lay out the culture of the organization. Obviously there is an existing culture before maybe you know coming up with an EVP uh, and obviously that EVP should take into consideration that existing culture but definitely more and more an EVP um, is again I mentioned it the 
foundation to shaping or adjusting or even transforming that culture. One definitely cannot live without the other. I mean, at the end of the day, um, the EVP, as we always like to say, it's the start of it, right? And I think uh, as, as with, with a brand definition or implementation, it's very similar, the analogy with EVP, this idea that, hey, you set out the EVP, you do the reflection of what the EVP ought to be. But once the EVP is there, there's so much else to do. It's the foundation to everything that is employer branding. Um, so I think oftentimes the misperception is we have to we have to find the EVP and then it's there. Okay, so, so what? I mean, it just can't be a poster on the wall or in some shelf of some HR department. The big job starts once you have defined the EVP. How do you really bring it to life? And I think that's also what Chelito was commenting before. How do you translate those foundations, that EVP, into tangible benefits, not just technical hard benefits to the employee, but soft ones. And actually, maybe oftentimes the softer ones might be to some degree, maybe more important, right? And that's all what culture is. And um, oftentimes more and more, thank God, EVPs result in um, undergoing employee experience projects where you really analyze what is actually the experience of working in this organization. Uh, and surely the EVP, again, is the foundation to guide through that process or to establish the pillars of how that experience ought to be. The, you know, the, some of the, the key words here that, that are repeating are, are, are really foundation and that is the promise. Chalito, if you could tell us, since now we're really getting to employee, listening to anonymously to employee experience, what, who we looked at, who were these employees we looked at, how did we how did we ask the questions, you know, and then and then really what did we discover? What were the, some of the major discoveries? Yeah. So within the survey that we did, it was to 900 people across uh, the U.S., Germany and China, looking specifically within Gen Z or Gen Z and millennial audiences. So between the ages of 16 to 40 and this, uh, you know, a big mix. We tried to do a split around those ages and tried as much as possible to keep it equal, understanding that there'll be different employment sort of experiences within that Gen Z younger audience versus the older, older millennial audience in the 40s. Um, and we asked sort of a series of questions first, just even asking them, do they know their company's employee promise? Do they even know what their company is promising to them. Let us know what you're what you're seeing then about those two generations. What what some of the biggest findings are about as as you're clarifying what they understand to be or don't the promise. Yes. So um, for the most part, people do understand what their company's promise is to their employees. Um, but there is a bit of a generational split where the older generation is more likely to understand this. And of course, part of that can be understood through younger Gen Z, they may not know, they haven't been in the workforce long enough, they may not even know what a promise is, they've only just started. But I think that there's a bit of a split there of experience where the longer you've been in the workplace, the more you even know to look for it and to look for what that EVP and how it could reflect in your life. So I'm wondering how much, we, we, we figure how much that might actually impact that split between these two generations of the yes and the no. Fascinating, fascinating. So, so what, what did they consider to be, let, let, let's get right into the meat of it. What did they consider to be the most important component of how so, the promise comes to life yeah. and, what, and what didn't matter as much? So this was probably, in our opinion, the most interesting part of the survey, which was we asked people, do they know what their promise is? Majority, yes. They said, which way 
does your company best deliver this? Which way do you think that they're most bringing their promise to life? And the majority said culture, they're bringing it to culture through culture. And there were some differences by age where, you know, some said it was financial, some said it was environment, so by country there's minor, but overall, most said they felt their company was making the most work towards culture. Um, but what was most important and what they felt was most important to them was actually how the financial benefits were reflected to them and how their promise was made through financial. And that's not just salary. That's just not how much they're paid. So the thing that was so interesting with this, and we have to sort of go a bit back on this, is when you actually look at long-term work retention, there's three key factors. And this has been studied for a very, very long time. You have financial benefits, you have employee benefits, and you have culture. And those three things work hand in hand. And you need all three of those together for long-term job satisfaction and long-term retention of employees. And what happens is, and what we see in this report is overwhelmingly, disproportionately, everyone surveyed said the most important thing to them was financial. But what we know within decades of actual scientific research is that you need all three of those to balance. And what we were seeing is that people saw employee benefits as important, but culture, which they said was what their employers were best reflecting their promise through, was the least important or one of the least important parts of, of aspects of an EVP, of how an EVP is brought to life. They felt that culture and reflection through culture, which is the values, which is anything around the people and people management, that's where they said they felt like it was the least important to them or second least important to them. But we know that it, it can never just be financial. If it was just financial, you know, everybody go work for an arms manufacturer, you know, like there's so many different things, but people have important feelings around benefits and culture as well. But clearly there's a mistranslation there because we know that they feel like their companies are making the most effort towards explaining their EVP and their promise to employees through culture. But those same employees are then saying that culture is the least important to them. So at what point is that not translating? Are they not seeing the importance? Are they not being having that importance made evident? Or is it maybe not being made even tangible or useful in their lives? And so in that way, like that to me is an absolute demonstration of a lack of an EVP in those workplaces. Because if with a successfully executed and articulated EVP, you give culture purpose and you give employee benefits purpose and you make everything feel like I understand how all of these work together moving forwards. But instead, what we have is employees saying, oh, the only thing that's important to me is money. It's only the financial benefits, even though what we see in long term studies around retention and job satisfaction is it's actually equally important around um, employee benefits and culture. Fascinating. Now, Fernanda, what from looking more at the, the the client side, what have you seen over the over recent years as as misconceptions maybe that the employer might have about EVP or and what mistakes they, they might be making in addressing EVP? Rather often is that oftentimes um, an EVP is sometimes even seen as a campaign, um, something more short-term or something more tactical instead of something extremely strategic. Obviously, I mean, you know, HR departments nowadays are extremely strategic. Um, it's a fascinating area, I think, probably if not the most fascinating area now in an organization nowadays, HR. Um, and, and obviously, 
sophisticated HR departments, obviously they know what the EVP is. So the, the, the core of the people who have to define the EVP, they know what it is. It's more the extended people around there that start actually interpreting something that might be more uh, futile or might be more uh, just- A cool slogan. What we see often yeah, is just a cool exactly. slogan. And then how do you make that slogan mean anything when you actually turn it into tangible opportunities for your staff from an experience yeah. perspective? So it, it's, it's more this, this feeling of campaign, that's one other thing. And the second thing is that I mentioned earlier on, this idea of, okay, wow, so now we have the EVP, great. So let's just slap it on some posters around the organization, you know? Well, I mean, again, it's just the beginning. I mean, the EVP itself ought to be the source of work for all the other things you've got to do on many different fronts as to what employer branding is concerned, right? Um, so that's, uh, yeah, I would also mention that as a, Snyder. And and what are you seeing with with so many then teams that 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 need to get involved in this from from Saffron's position and experience yeah. you know working with um, working with HR working but working with the branding teams the CMOs marketing communications working with with general business yeah. leadership what what is a a good dynamic to to Avoid yeah. these pitfalls, as yeah. you're saying. Avoid it being a campaign opposed to Yeah, you actually just mentioned it. I think one of the dynamics we've seen that is crucial for a successful EVP is who do we actually even involve from a core team perspective when developing EVPs? And I think and, and, and I think the smart HR departments actually identify and recognize that it goes beyond HR. So our experience shows that um, those core teams actually developing the EVP should not only be solely from the HR department. So it should be maybe a combination between the brand and HR department, the communications department and HR department. So literally also understanding um, that it goes beyond just HR, right? At least from from the very beginning, so yeah, which is a which is a huge mistake, right? I mean, let's let's take retail. I mean, who is the heart of the retail operation? The heart of the retail operations, as we'd like to say, is the people who are in the trenches, the one who at the storefront actually talking to the customer. It's not the guy sitting high up in the castle in headquarters. And oftentimes, it. It's, it's easier said than done. Oh, no, we do it for everyone. But what does it involve really doing it for everyone? Is really stepping out of your castle and really going to the trenches and really facing, you know, the realities of those employees. So, yeah. It, it, and, and translating it. I think that's one of the big things. Originally, the title of this report was the mistranslation because it is sort of that aspect of translating the EVP into something that is tangible for your staff in a real way of their lives. And that translation might shift depending on where those staff are located and what their roles are. But the idea of the EVP should be solid enough and consistent enough that that promise is still true no matter where you are. An example just making up off the top of my head is if you were to say we're, the EVP was all about safety. It's all going to be about safety. Yes, that makes sense for a warehouse. How does that make sense for an office? Okay, how do we talk about that? Exactly. Also, then the idea of being a safe place from the point of view of financial. Okay, well, that means we're always making sure we're increasing alongside inflation or we have we always pay our freelancers on time because of the safety finance, like understanding the spectrum of translation and not having it just be, as Fernanda was saying, a slogan on a poster on a wall that you let other people interpret however they want and then you run into issues of people saying, well, I choose to mean, understand it as safety means I get to carry a sword. I don't know. Absolutely. So we've heard about why employers care about EVP and, and 
why should employees though? Why should employees in in, in a time of, of great turnover and with with the results that we've seen from the study looking at looking at the the younger generations, why should employees of all generations care about EVP? I think that the biggest part of that is that is in the word itself. I mean, we talk about, you know, it's a proposition, but it's a promise. And a promise is almost like a contract. It is a promise your company is making. And once you have that in writing, and once you have that in something that is intrinsically part of your experience, you are able then to feel empowered to go to your managers or go around and say, listen, you have made this promise and we are not seeing it reflected through this. And that can be either through a complaint or through an opportunity and saying, listen, we are seeing this. We can organize this together because we've made a promise about a fun, something about fun. I don't know, making this up on the fly. And we think that we should make sure that this is reflected in how we do our internal communications and we can have X, Y, Z. Like it is a promise of which you are a active participant in. And I think it's important also to consider an EVP as a cyclical piece that you have this promise, but it's creation and it's reflection is constantly going back and forth with each other in a cycle because as you have defined it, then your employees have to live it. And then as they live it, they redefine it as well. And so I think that that's why it should be important to employees to care about an EVP is to understand the promise aspect and how they can then help define it within their workplace and feel empowered by it as well. Would you say in the last few years that you've seen an evolution or an increase in the number of components that make up this employee value promise or proposition? And I say this looking at the study with the components that, that respondents are, are answering to, including work flexibility? Are, are we seeing that there are more, now more ways, more nuances to how the promise needs to be brought to life and, think, and what might be valued by multiple generations? I think that that's it more than anything is the ways in which it can be brought to life. The doors have been opened. And I think previously they were a bit more buttoned down and a bit more closed. And it was like, okay, as you know, for now was saying, very technical. You are going to your our promise to you is that you will be paid on time and that you will get a few bullets on a paper, yes. right? So and now it's much more open. You know, you can have promises in regards to culture that says, you know, we promise that we are an equitable workplace that is helping to, you know, I worked in an office once that had all the washrooms were um, non-gendered because their promise was everybody should feel comfortable in their workplace to feel like they never have to define themselves in this way. And so they had some gendered washrooms, but the majority of washrooms, you just use whatever you felt you were comfortable with. And that was another reflection that previously would be unheard of to have that be reflected in how you were the experience of your employees. And so I think that there's so many more opportunities to make a promise true that aren't just three bullet points saying we're going to do yeah. this, we're going to do this. I, I, think, I think also, for instance, diversity and inclusion has been actually uh, very supportive of actually, as Chilito says, opening up those gates, right, to actually uh, find a more meaningful, diverse ways to activate EVP and make EVP tangible to employees. And again, I think DNI has has very much contributed in a positive sense yeah. to that. And I think understanding the variety of experiences within it, when we talk about that translation aspect of an EVP to the employee experience, is looking at that experience can be varied not only by where they work, but also by their own lives and their own experiences, which they bring to the workplace. So how do you make that into something that is still true and consistent so that when you're trying to hire a developer who can go to company A and company B and from the most like literal perspective or technical perspective, it's the same job. They're getting paid vacation vacations the same. How do you make them believe that this promise that you're making will touch every part of the lives and their experiences? And that's how you can sort of set it apart for company to company.
you know, going back to the report, we you've you've given us the 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 important black and white extreme result of of money being on the mind and culture being being much less important. What are you seeing within that spectrum of components? What else? What else is important? Again, because this this needing to be as you're all hi both highlighting, this needs to be holistic at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. What what else? What else is important? Are there any truths we're seeing um, about 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 millennials, about Gen Zs that that would be interesting for um, I think the, to know. from a generational split, I think the biggest aspect that was uh, interesting to us was that there wasn't as much of a split as we were expecting. We thought that there would be more of a difference between the two generations, and they're actually very similar, which is sort of a reflection of the upbringing of those generations and the life experiences that both of them have had of essentially like a VUCA upbringing for both, right, of just volatile and <laughs> everything of sort of your lives. And so there are many similarities within those things. The one thing that did set out as a different uh, factor for both is the importance of um, work environment and flexibility as a reason to join a company, which if I'm remembering correctly, the younger generation, the Gen Z, was more likely to say that they would be interested in joining a company, again, Financial was still number one, but they were slightly more interested in joining a company if there was a more flexibility in their workplace mm -hmm. than a older generation. But again, the differences between those were so minor that it almost isn't worth extrapolating in this way because they were so, so similar between the two generations. You would What we saw more was, I would say, differences between the countries. And so even then it was not huge differences, but it would be things like um, in China, Chinese respondents were least likely to say that they were interested in uh, flexibility of workplace environment as one of their motivating factors to join a company versus the US and Germany, who felt like that was very important to them. Things like that was a bit more different, um, a bit different of how they could see the promise being brought to life. Um, and were there any any other notable differences in that you see that you saw between the different countries? Um, well, the other one is around um, alumni programs, and so this is something where most, regardless of country, most employees and most people who responded to our survey, I should say, did not were not part of alumni programs. It was overwhelmingly, I think, it was something like seventy percent said that no, they were not part of an alumni program. However, this did change alongside the country lines where what we saw was actually, while the majority still said no, Chinese respondents were the most likely to say yes. It was almost a 50-50 split. It was about 45%, I think, 43% of Chinese respondents said yes, that they are part of the alumni program. And what was interesting, though, is within those who said yes, that they were part of it, what they valued, where Chinese respondents were more likely to say that they were looking for opportunities of career development and networking within their alumni programs versus American and Germans who did participate said they were more interested in um, stock options, business insights, things like that. And so you're seeing a split within those of what are they expecting? And then you start to wonder, you know, is it because the program, the alumni programs that are offered in China are offering more of those networking opportunities, job opportunities, or is it, you know, just something that we found that was really interesting within that is those that divide between them. So how would you say this study, looking looking globally, but at three countries, looking at, at two generations, how would you say that this study um, is is affecting how we see, how Saffron, our, our point of view on EVP? I think- the, And I'll open this question up to yeah, both of you. I think the most interesting or surprising thing that this study was the homogeneity of it. 
we were really expecting there to be significant differences between each of the countries in these responses and then between each of the age groups. And what we found is that the necessity and needs of those age groups and those countries are very similar of the needs, the feelings around financial benefits, the feelings around culture, the feelings around work environment. While there are subtle differences between the different groups, for the most part, the thing that I think was most interesting of the study is that globally, you're seeing these trends globally of reflections of what people are wanting the promise from their company to be reflected in their experience. Um, and so from our perspective, what this means is, firstly, when you have a large international company, so you know we work with some companies that have I don't know, hundreds of offices around the world. Um, understanding then how can we make an idea that has the flexibility to be tweaked to those nuances of the different regions while still being intrinsically true enough to speak to almost the human truth of the people in all of those regions regardless. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would say that um, takeaways from the study for the work we do as two EVPs. Well, I think there are to one is as, as Chilito mentioned early on this idea that there was such a heavy focus on the respondents as to the financial aspects of it to some degree um, you could say well it's not surprising it's surprising depending on who you talk to um, I think the reading we do about that is that EVPs are not permeating I mean yeah. right I mean from that that's we take on that so which it, it confirms that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done as to the implementation and execution to really make an EVP tangible, valuable to employees that goes beyond just, you know, those hard fact factors mm -hmm. as to the relationship between the employee and the employer. So they're kind of going beyond the financial aspect, going beyond your salary and the more perks associated or benefits associated with more those um, uh, finances. That's number one. The second thing, which which we already mentioned, was this idea that there has barely been any differences between those two generations. And uh, I, I think that's extremely interesting for organizations that really need to constantly bring, you know, uh, uh, gen sets into their, 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 their workforces. And the fact that there hasn't been much differences between them um, I think I, I, th I think there are a lot of implications to that as to developing the EVPs, as to actually implementing them. Um, what does it mean, this idea of being purpose-driven that we have read throughout over the past years as to both millennials and Jet Z. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that second one, I think, is definitely also something to take into consideration as we continue developing and helping organizations implement yeah. their EVPs. Honestly, I think the biggest like high level takeaway of this was the majority of respondents said that they know what their company's EVP is and what their promise is. And then when they were asked about it, yeah. they were just sort of like money. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh... so how do we make them realize that this promise can be more, that money is important in this exactly. and reflecting it, but making them understand, you know, when you think about culture within a company, I mean, I'm sure everybody here has worked at a place before where it's like really well paid, but from a culture perspective, from a benefits perspective, from a talking to people from the promise, you're like, oh, I cannot work here. And that as soon as you go to work in one of those places, you know then the value of exactly. everything you're missing. Exactly. And I think that what's really stood out to me in this survey is that mistrans that miscommunication is crucial to solve within companies yeah. of saying, this is what this is. 
And this is why it matters. And not even just, well, here's why it matters to you, but here's how it shows up every day to matter to you. Because you can say, oh, here's our EVP and this is what it is. And it's so great. And here's all the actions we're going to be taking. But if those actions aren't tangible in their yeah. actual... What does it mean for me as an individual working yeah. in this organization? And how do I contribute? Exactly. How do I participate? Because you can say, we make this promise to you and this is how we're promising your experience is going to be. And here's the like three pillars that make it true. But it's like, oh, but you put this in. And since you put this in six months ago, nothing has changed. Then there's a problem. Fascinating. And I, I think just to, to wrap up here, recognizing the context of, of the great resignation, um, recognizing that this report is called the great misunderstanding to look at the connection, to, to flip it and look at employees and look at how that, that needs to connect now with employers. The other term that's come up lately is the idea of the great reflection, which I think, you know, mostly people are talking about how employees or previous employees are in this period of reflection. But would you, would you also suggest that this is a time of a, a really important time of employer reflection? Absolutely. I think that this has given, you know, if you look at the landscape around the world, I mean, we're writing this right before one of the largest general strikes is supposed to be starting in the U.S. in a couple of days. This is a chance, I think, for employers to also understand what if you make a promise, it has to be true. And if you make a promise and you don't fulfill it and you don't make it tangible and you don't make it something that is worthwhile to your staff, then it's not a promise. Then you're not actually living up to what you're saying. And I think that this aspect of reflection needs to be considered as part of themselves, as their role as employers, as much as it is towards the employees and the employees' role reflection of themselves. We've dove in a little bit to the the study that is that is global, looking at three representative countries across the world and two generations. Um, what I'd love to hear more about is if there are other insights from our global work, given that, that Saffron works worldwide, has worked in many different countries, um, and with many different sectors. If there's any other nuance that, that you would want to share with listeners um, to complement or perhaps um, even maybe raise some important questions that might be coming up from the study. The big takeaway, one of the big takeaways of the study is actually to really take into consideration the cultural differences between different countries and different regions, right? Um, so when you are in a large organization, a large corporation that actually operates across the board, different geographies, countries, regions, um, you need to really understand those nuances and how that actually will impact your EVP. Um, and yeah, therefore, you need to take into consideration uh, that the people who will have to work in developing all this need to be sensitive to it. Right? So even if, let's say, you're a U.S.-based organization, um, you have to be very, very careful not let a very U.S.-focused culture influence solely or partially that EVP. Right? And that's the beauty of it, of really having a global understanding, a global mindset, and be very, very sensitive to the nuances and the differences that you're going to have across your different offices. Maybe your office in Munich might feel totally different than the one you might have in San Francisco, and the same one for the one in Singapore, or maybe the one in Cape Town. Um, so therefore, whoever is involved in developing such an EVP and then actually bringing it to life uh, should be exposed and understanding these nuances. Yeah, I think the, the best advice that we could give for that would be just to, to question yourself and question your own understanding so that 
your experience if you are in the head office versus the experience of somebody who's in a satellite office on the other side of the world is inherently going to be something very different. And even from a cultural perspective, one of the biggest shifts that we see from a culture perspective is even something around the ideas of like privacy and parts of lives that in the US and in North America, people bring into the office that you would never consider bringing into an office in Europe or you would never consider bringing into an office in Asia necessarily. Like those parts of your lives and how that can shift and change that promise as well. And I think uh, just to wrap it up, uh, when we talk about cultural nuances, it's literally really understanding what is the stage, what is the relationship that person in that culture, in that country um, has towards work in general, right? Or the evolution of work in those specific geographies might be different maybe that you might have in the UK or in in the US, it might be just different. So their needs might be different. They might be at a different stage. So it's very important also to understand these macro factors that can actually influence an EVP, right? So uh, an, an individual works in country X, what's their upbringing? What's the evolution of industries in their countries, of education, of colleges or universities, of higher education is, all these things need to be always considered actually when looking into uh, EVP definition work. Thank you very much. Uh, I think if, if there's one big takeaway for us too, that it's to, it's to keep questioning, to keep reflecting, and that we're really fortunate in, in the work we get to do day to day to be, be in on those, those moments, important moments of listening and, and reflection and, and change. To just take nothing for granted. Absolutely. Thank you both, and, and mm -hmm. thank you for this conversation. And our report is available on the Thinking in Section of the Southland website.